1: We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-D-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630
0: channel. Back, everybody. It's twelve thirty-three in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer and Brendan Escott with you. We're going to bring Louis DeRuskin momentarily. He's our headliner today for Touchback Safety, a family business taking care of your family during uncertain times. Training sessions still readily available. Look, I've been doing color for the odors for twelve years. Uh, My mother uh, and three of my sisters live currently in British Columbia, and uh, I will tell you, I'm not going to. We go out there. Virtually every summer. Uh, I really like Kelowna and I really like sort of the Parksville area on Vancouver Island. When we go to Vancouver to play the Canucks, it's usually rainy. Uh, we were there last year for the draft. It was beautiful. We bring this up because there is a bit of a competition. Just before we say hello to Louis de Brusque, Brendan, you're a BC kid. Give me your thoughts on, you know, the. Uh, you know, your perception of uh, Vancouver versus Edmonton.
1: It's interesting to me that if they consider Vancouver as more of a beneficial spot, I just wonder with it's a higher risk area to me. Not only was that one of the places that we started to first see a lot of cases crop up, but they have like three times the population in their surrounding area that Edmonton does here, right? And I understand there's isolations and stuff, uh, but it, it just seems like there's a higher margin for error there. And, I, you know, obviously being part and partial to our. Facility, Facilities. It just makes so much sense for Edmonton to be that host versus Vancouver, given that. But uh, that uh, that decision's a little further above my pay grade. In, in
0: fairness, I would say they've done a really good job uh, after the initial outbreak that occurred at the Lynn Lake uh, Assisted Living Facility. Uh, however... I don't think they've tested enough, and I bring up the testing numbers. When you got one province that's tested twice as much as another province, I think that's a little bit revealing. Let's bring aboard Louis DeBrusque, who got traded here for Marc Messier uh, and uh, played here at Edmonton for a number of years and obviously has moved back to Edmonton and has done color and is now uh, one of the top uh, analysts in the entire business, not just on broadcasts, but on Hockey Night in Canada as well. Louis, how you doing? I'm doing good, Bob. How are you doing today? Good. This is a this is becoming a uh, you know an interesting story because I think in a perfect world, the NHL would like to have at least if we're down at two locations, if we are indeed able to get back started up. I think the NHL would like one of the two of them to be in Canada, just because it's cheaper. Uh, frankly, there's going to be more buzz. Canadians, uh, you know, we we all know we hockey's the number one sport in this country. There's not really much of a debate there. Uh, we know that vegas is going to make a concerted effort they might be willing to spend a bit more uh just because they know how to bring in business and i'm not talking the golden knights but just your thoughts sort of on uh you know maybe the edmonton bid and then we'll get into some of the specifics
1: no i agree with you i think that uh, edmonton should have a team in there if there's only going to be two and if there's four there certainly should be at least one canadian team in that mix as well that's just my opinion that's the way i feel about it and Similar to your thoughts, um, listen, it's, it's Canada, it's our it's our sport. We love our sport here, and the hype would be huge around it. Getting back to the Edmonton location, we've talked about this at length. I don't know if there's a better location right now um, to, to be able to house teams in a hotel that's built on to a brand-new facility. and could uh, could easily be controlled downtown in that regard to allow the NHL to come in and play a whole bunch of games in short period of time. So, yeah, I've always said Edmonton, number one, because of what they have as far as facilities, number two, because of this pandemic and how they've dealt with it and the numbers that we've had here in Alberta and Edmonton, which have been relatively low, considered to some places in the National Hockey League in the cities. And... Listen, um, I do believe there should be a Canadian location if they're going to go down to two or four.
0: Louis, do you think the perception of, uh, I'll use the term, deadmonton? do you think that exists with
1: some players out there? Yeah. Sure. You know, I mean, listen, um, there's 31 teams. There's 31 cities. Every single city is unique. Every single city brings something special to the table. Um and listen, I played on, in some great cities. I played in Edmonton. That was where I got my first start. But I started off with the New York Rangers. So I got to spend three training camps and probably about six months in New York in total. So in over the course of those three years, as far as coming in for training camps, which were a month long back then, exhibition, which were also a month long, long back then, and then you know, going down into Binghamton my last year before being traded to Edmonton. You find something special in every city when you go there. And I've told you this before. You might not necessarily know a lot about the city you get traded to or you get signed to or you get drafted to, but when you get there, it becomes you. You become part of that city, and that city becomes part of you. And that's just the way it happens. And I think everybody in every walk of life can can kind of relate to that. When you move and you go somewhere, it might not be home for you, but you make it your home. You make it the best. So... I honestly, I don't like downplaying or, or talking negatively about any city in the National Hockey League. When you're Problem playing in the National Hockey League, that's, you know, you're playing a professional sport for a living, and you're representing that, that city respectively, and you become very proud of that fact.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, Louie, um, because I've used terms like battle for Alberta with Gary Batman fighting uh, during the 0405 lockout. lockout. Uh, I tried... Not to hate Calgary. I know some of you are conditioned that are listening to the show to hate Calgary. And when they were getting after it uh, at the end of January there, and Mike Smith was teeing off on Cam Talbot, and I was thinking, Cam, what are you doing? You're about to get, you know, what, kicked here. And it, Matthew Kachuk, you know, and he's fighting Zach Cassian or he's fighting Ethan Bear. You know, there's a rivalry there. But I'd actually see, I'd prefer see, I know this is sacrilegious for a host on Oilers Town to say, I'd rather see Calgary win the Cup than some of the
1: American teams. And I'd rather see, you <laughs> know feel what? I the same way. I do, but I, I feel the same I, way. You know I, I, I would love to yeah. see the Canadian team win it. Yeah. Um, it's just overdue. It's overdue. And I know people here in Edmonton, being in Edmontonia, it would be nice to see this city win a Stanley Cup again, but I'll take a Canadian champion. You know, for me, I, I would like to see the Cup back in Canada, and um, I think we're going to see that. I do. I think we're going to see that sooner rather than later.
0: The one thing I would say, Louie, is at times, like, um, I really like the province of Saskatchewan. I, I like their attitude over the last 12 to 15 years. I think they've had really good leadership there. Uh, Winnipeg, you can't go to Winnipeg and not feel hockey course through your veins when you go to their market. That building's you know
1: outstanding. Outstanding. I, you, I did the first round last year against the St. Louis Blues in Winnipeg. It was it was an amazing atmosphere. It was yeah. terrific. It really was. And even early in my career, the old Winnipeg Arena, we'd go in there and just had again had a special feel to it. You knew you were in Winnipeg. They were a very rowdy, loud crowd. Like I said, you can you can take the positives and the negatives of every single city in the National Hockey League. Um, but like I said, when you when you get drafted or traded or signed with a team. And you go there and make that your home, it becomes part of you. And that's just the way I've always kind of approached it. And people that would look at Edmonton, going back to your earlier statement of Edmonton, they just haven't lived here. They haven't been here. I mean, there's a lot of people. I could have chosen a lot of different places to go and and live after I was done playing. And I I stay here. There's a lot of great things about Edmonton. And I just, you know, we probably are the worst at bashing our own city. Uh, We complain about the weather a lot, rightfully so, but that also makes us who we are. We feel like we're a little tougher because we get to endure one of the coldest climates on the planet. And uh, you know what? Listen, like I said, you can find the good and bad in everywhere, but this would be a perfect location, I think, if they do get down to four or two teams. Yeah,
0: the only thing I was going to say, amongst the Western Canadian cities that are maybe in the CFL, I, there there have been times, and it's not necessarily specific to football, more specific to hockey, but at times there's been some guys out there that have kind of looked down at the rest of the West, and I'm kind of like, I don't really get that, you know. Uh, I, I will say during the 2011 Cup, Louis, because of some of the guys on Vancouver, and I, I love the Sedins, I thought they were the definition of class, but I was not a big uh, Alex Burrows or Max Lapierre (laughs) fan. I didn't mind seeing Boston win the Stanley Cup final. That might have been the one time where I was like, eh, I don't mind seeing Boston
1: win (laughs) here. I remember saying something about Lapierre back in the day. and He was very good at what he did. He was an entertainer, He was big. He was physical. But I think I even said on the air, I might have been doing radio at that time, but I said, you know, he has one of those faces that you just want to punch. He doesn't even have to do anything on the ice. He can just look at you and you're mad at him. And there's not a whole lot of guys that are like that. But there are guys in the league that they don't even have to push you, slash you, talk to you. They can just look at you. And you're like, you know what? I just don't like that guy for some reason. And uh, Vancouver had a few of them. Vancouver had that. That was part of their identity was being that type of a team. They were highly skilled but they were agitating. They wanted to try and get you to suck suck you in to take penalties so that you go into yeah. the power play and they beat you in that regard. They were one of the best teams in the league for a good chunk of time. And it uh, didn't work for them, didn't happen for them. They lost to the Boston in the Stanley Cup final. But um, those guys in particular... You know, we're kind of really set the tone as far as the type of game you're going to have to play when you went in there and played Vancouver.
0: You know, it's funny about t- uh, toughness. Louis DeRuss joining us, uh, longtime NHLer, uh, Oilers analyst on NHL Hockey and Rogers and Sportsnet and, of course, of Hockey Night in Canada. I-, I had a lot of respect for the Winnipeg Jets in the WHA days. And Alp Nilsson and Bobby Hall was the big star. But the best two players were Anders Hedberg and Alf Nielsen. And Alf Nilsson. And, they, and that was a time in the late 70s, Louie, there was flat out goonery on the ice, okay? And guys did real. Like Mark, Mark Tardif, uh, got suckered by Rick Giazio, uh, from the, uh, Calgary Cowboys, I believe they were known as then. You know, like he got, it was, it was just like Bertuzzi on Steve Moore. And, uh, and I, I remember thinking, and my, my dad, who's long since gone, said, Bob, understand this what what hedberg and nielsen are doing that's tough because they're taking the abuse and it's not oh. dissuading them from playing the game and the sedines took a lot of abuse and some guys would make comments and try to belittle them those guys were tough because they kept on coming they kept on
1: bringing it you know what i'm saying they, they never lost sight um of the goal you know they wouldn't let anybody deter them from the goal of playing the way they wanted to play and being offensive and getting and creating opportunities I I think they were some of the toughest human beings on the planet. I really do. And I've talked to you about this at length. You know, when the Russians started to come over and defect, and I remember early in my career in training camp, Sergey Nemtinov, who was a 30-goal scorer at one time, had played over in Russia for a long team, had played on the team, and then came over and was at the Rangers, won a Stanley Cup with them, became an incredible defensive player, like one of those guys that just was like a HOSA type of player. Um, I know I'm building him up a lot, but he was later in his script. He would have come over eight years earlier. I mean... He, he right. had himself one heck of a career. But anyway, um, I remember when he came in and I mean, listen, there was a little extra that was given to the Europeans that came into the game, There just once there was a mentality. They were taking a job from somebody over here in North America and they were given the business as hard as you could possibly imagine every single shift It was cross-checks, it was slashes, it was punches in the head, wax behind the legs. And I'm not talking little love taps like you see today. I'm talking guys who are breaking sticks over each other. You have to do a lot to get a penalty back then, especially in front of the net. That's why we said go to the hard areas. That's where that saying came from. Go to the hard areas. You would get abused in front of the net. If you wanted to stand in front of the opposition's goaltender, you better have some protection on because you were going to pay the price. But the reason I'm saying this is that it didn't deter Sergei from doing anything. He just absolutely was literally like Ivan Drago. He just, you know what? This is what I want to do. This is what I've worked hard to do. I'm coming from a country that I want to do better here. And I always respected that. I always left the lasting impression in my mind with how mentally and physically tough they were coming over and playing in a real hostile environment. I've always respected that. And you know what? Now, I mean, we call, you know, a guy like Matthias Eckholm what we call the mean and Swede, they come with a little bit different mentality now, and they're not afraid to push back. And they're not afraid to get physical, and they, they accustom themselves to the North American game more. And uh, they're formal. I mean, they're just terrific athletes, and, and now it's just, you know, the best player plays. I,
0: I remember uh, Nemtino. I think he went after Haller. For some reason, Kevin Haller, Messier didn't like him. Uh, and uh, yep, I, I don't think... wait. That. I, I, I don't think I don't think Wayne Gratzky like Kevin Hall
1: or too much. Yeah, Either he, you know what? He was one of the few guys that would step over the line and, and you know what? Play hard against the right. Guys. And you know what? It takes a different type. Of, it's funny because people say, hey, why aren't you hitting that guy? Well, you do that. You're going to bring some a lot of attention your way and not the kind of attention you want. And so it takes a certain type of individual going back to what we talked about. with a guy like Lafayette, he wasn't afraid to do that and take that attention. Uh, Burroughs wasn't afraid to do that and take that attention. I honestly have learned to like those type of players more. I think that they're kind of a new wave of the physicality and toughness in the league. I don't want yeah. to go so far that we're calling them rats or, you know, backstabbers and all that stuff. I mean, just play a real hard game. And you know what? Don't look at numbers. This is just you're playing an opposition. It doesn't matter who's got the puck. You're going to lay a big hit. And you know what? You will deal with whatever comes your way afterwards.
0: Yeah, actually, when I, uh, there, with Nemchinov, uh, Brian Benning's an Edmonton guy, and when Benning was playing with Florida, if I recall one time, Nemchinov suckered him. Like he got, something happened, and he just dropped him. And he, you could, he was a big, thick guy. He could do that to you. Uh, you know what, we, you talk about guys that, uh, the Oilers had a guy throughout the mid 2000s. That was a bit like the Sedins. He wasn't as good as them, but for the Oilers, he was their most skilled guy. Craig McTavish said he, was, when he, when Alex Shemsky retired, uh, he may have been the most important guy. I think he said he was the most important guy he coached. What are your thoughts on <laughs> It's Funny. You
1: know, I was thinking about him the other day. I know that he retired from hockey. Congratulations to a great career. Um, I think Alice was a lot tougher than people gave him credit for. It. I don't think people really understood what he had to endure out there. He wasn't the biggest guy. I mean, you saw him off the ice, and you're like, geez, this guy's in there crushed out there. And because he had the puck a lot, he was targeted. But, I I, I mean, this guy would jump up from big hits. I mean, we all remember the Robin Regeer hits where he would collide with him and go to the front. He wasn't afraid to drive that puck to the net. Sometimes he would look like he kind of didn't care that much, but was ultra-skilled. And I do believe, still to this day, one of the best ever, that could take a puck in the skates and make it look like it was a good pass. He could—he you, you could not give Alex Hemsky a bad pass. That guy could pick up pucks on his feet, behind him, in between, didn't matter, going backwards, forwards. He had an incredible ability to pick up that puck at top speed no matter where that puck was thrown at him. And I don't know who it was that said that, but you can't throw a good player a bad pass because he'll find a way to pick it up. He always picked it up, it seemed.
0: Yeah, we're joined right now by uh, Louis DeBross from NHL Hockey and Rogers Bob Stoffer with you. Louis, you worked a lot on the, uh, the draft show the last couple of years. Have they got you started down that path yet?
1: A little bit. You know what, there's a little bit of talk rumbling about it and if, whether or not they're going to have that in June still, which I think they would like to do. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that coverage is going to happen. If things continue to go the way they're going now, then we'll see. Um, there's been a little bit of discussion, but not a lot.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? You would think they would at least need to give the GMs a month's notice, and we're sitting here on May the 21st, Louie. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're sort of at the stage here where can you have it before June 21st? I mean, I would think they'd have to have at least a, a month uh, tip-off time right now.
1: How's Jake doing? He's doing good. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I think it's amazing. You know, I think that, that you know, two months goes by, you get into 10 weeks, and you start to – a little itch now and i think that the players are probably starting to feel that themselves they have had some time off that wasn't kind of designated as time off and that was the hard part about it you never really knew if you were going to be called back in a week if something was going to drastically change so you're always kind of wondering now i do think the players had a fairly good understanding that it probably wasn't going to happen soon so there was no urgency i think for the players to say hey we need to we need to be ready here we can't even skate. but let's go for a run let's do our body weight squats if you have weights and you're lucky enough to have a gym in your house to work out but now that things are starting to open up and you're starting to see people get some ice time and get on the ice i know there was some ice in ottawa that opened up and some senators and 67s we're going to skate there you're i think you're going to see the guys start to have more of a desire to get back and start skating and when once that happens I can always speak from experience. Once you start getting on the ice and skating hard and working out and practicing, you want to play games. You just want to start playing games. That's kind of what it's all about anyway is the games. And um, I think that, that that energy is going to start to build here as we're talking more and more about a possible return.
0: If we are able to return, Louie, who does it favor? An older, more experienced, playoff-weary team like Boston or maybe a younger team like like at Edmonton?
1: Oh, that's a really good question, and I, I think it it could go both ways. I think that, you know, just that youthful enthusiasm for me always goes a long, long way, especially in a tournament style, which it will become. Um, I know it's series, but it becomes a short tournament where you're you, it's all or nothing right now that anything can happen. You can elevate and play some amazing hockey on just emotion, energy, and desire. I do still think, though, that the veteran teams, they're good teams for a reason. They're good teams because they play a certain way. They have a system. They have a structure. And I know we use that word a lot in hockey, but the great teams have it. They really do. They have they have a certain identity they play to, and they don't change. And they make you fight for every inch. And I, so I do think that although you can have some breakthroughs and you can have certainly some dynamic games and there can be some huge upsets, I do still think that, one of the veteran good teams in the league that is a Stanley Cup contender and has been right from the start of the year, has a real good chance to do it again and, and pull through if it does come back.
0: Louie, you got me uh, turned on to Hunters on Prime. I watched uh, all of that series a couple of weeks ago. This past weekend, I watched White Lines on Netflix. Uh, and I'm going to pose a question out there for our listeners on our Ashley Fine Floors text line. line. White line, yep, uh, 7804960063. It was, uh, well, it was a visual gore fest, I can tell you that. But, uh, it succeeded in spite of the fact that it had an incredibly, uh, weak, uh, lead actor, in my opinion. Uh, she wasn't very good and she wasn't overly compelling and overly likable. And it's not like she played necessarily an unlikable character. It was just the way she acted it. So, can you think of, because you're a movie buff. Can you think of a movie or a show that you liked in spite of the fact that it had maybe somebody that you didn't like in the movie or in the show?
1: Oh, boy. Don't well, you, you love it when I – Yeah, you know what? i, I tell you, I always go back to uh, – and I like them now, but I didn't know if I liked them. And now I know he's a huge Boston fan, too, so that kind of plays into it. But it Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary was always one of those guys that kind of came at you like – he yeah, either loved him or hated him it was like he he just had that aura <laughs> about him and he was he was he had that strong kind of attitude
0: but well, i am not the, i am I mean, not a Dennis I mean, Lur. yeah okay, i'm not so a Dennis there Lur. You go, so there
1: you go but i love the series rescue you know, he was a firefighter in that series and i watched the whole series and i'm gonna probably watch it again actually but i i really enjoyed that series and he was in that i kind of changed my mind changed my opinion of him so that's that's one of those uh series where you know, I went into it kinda somebody had said you gotta start watching this series and you throw it on there and I was hooked after the first episode.
0: Yeah, I've never been a big Dennis Leary fan. What was the show that he was on? Rescue Me. Rescue Me. Okay. Well, yeah. there you have it. Uh some would say, Louie, you just helped rescue this segment. Thanks for that. Have a good weekend. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take care Now, that. You vet it's twelve fifty four in Edmonton. We'll take a two minute time out. You're listening to winners now.
1: Hi, this is Oscar Clefbaum from the Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stauffer on 630
0: shed Glenn, the bartender, has texted us on our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Bob, Brendan, and Louie. A fellow bartender was once shooting pool with Dave Semenko, and he asked him who he thought the toughest player he played with or against was. And Sammy said, Yari Curry. He said he'd come off the ice uh, black and blue after every game and never say a word. That comes to us from Glenn, the bartender. The Oilers won five Stanley Cups. Yari Curry led the NHL in uh, playoff goal scoring in four of those five years. He was money come crunch time. We got Brian Burke coming up, and, uh, Hart uh, Levine, uh, who is with Puckpedia, uh, he's done an interesting survey on agents, so we're going to have a little bit of fun with that coming up in the second hour of the show. Do you want to tell you that uh, during the season, all season long, the Oilers Now Injury Reports brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Trent Brown, Jim Brown, the gang, and James H. Brown, they'll take care of you. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And for Canadian Power Pack, Brian Burke, when we return.